people. So if you are not black, why wouldn't you want to control black people? Why wouldn't you want to control us as a resource the same way you control every other resource? I just read a story the other day where they were referring to the fact that uh, there was a town that had these private prisons and they were telling, they were complaining to legislators that if they stopped letting them use prison labor, that the town would go broke. It would be complete chaos because they don't have any ability to get, they can't find workers that'll work for a dollar a day. So, uh, so you are an economic engine in America and you have to understand that. And so on page 69 of Poweronomics, Dr. Claude Anderson talks about meritorious manumission. And he says the subjects were nearly 15 million African slaves on plantations. The goal was to control a large group of captured slaves and make them hardworking, fearful, dependent, docile, submissive, and loyal labor tools to build wealth for their captors. So your job, your goal, <clears throat> uh, or their goal for you was, uh, let's go through each word carefully so you can understand this, so you can see it when you, or you can identify it when you see it in, in, in modern day behavior. Uh, let's see here. Hardworking, well, black people work extremely hard. You know, we love to work for massive. Uh, fearful, we are definitely afraid of massive. And we, we um, a lot of celebrities, they, they won't say certain things because they're scared of the consequences. Dependent, we're not an independent people. Integration misled you into believing that your life would be better. And we have found out the hard way that integration actually exposes you to more problems, more racism. You saw what happened. For example, Madam President made a great point about that whole incident. Did anybody give me a yes or no if you saw that incident that happened with Sesame Place, where uh, the Sesame Place or Sesame Street character uh, wouldn't wouldn't hug the black kids and all that? Well, Madam President <clears throat> made a really good point. I shared her video. I thought it was great. She said, you know, this is what integration gets you. When integration, what integration did, unfortunately, was it killed so many black businesses that we don't have our own entity. So we're forced to take whatever people do to us. Right? So we're loyal and committed to Sesame Street. When there is a black version of Sesame Street out there, I'm sure that some black man or black woman has created. I don't know if you have ever seen that lady. I think her name is Tabitha Brown. Tabitha Brown does a really great YouTube video. She's a black woman. She's kind of like a black female Mr. Rogers, basically. She's really good at what she does. And so in my book, <clears throat> you know, it, it, it's it's not a matter of so much just being mad at Sesame Street because they don't want to hug the black kids. I mean, sure, it's terrible, and we should you know fight that if we feel compelled to do so. But why are you? Why do you feel like you have to be there in the first place? You've got people like the Tabitha Browns out here that are doing really great things, uh, you know, for the community that are cre creating great children's programming, etc. So a lot of times we're led to believe that his ice is colder, that his entities are better and more important. We have typecast and stereotype ourselves into believing that we are supposed to just be the laborers and that the white man is supposed to be the builder. The white man is supposed to be the warrior. The white man is supposed to be the CEO. Um, <clears throat> in fact, I was watching, um, I was watching, not, not that I'm making fun of Kevin Hart at all. He, uh, you know, he, he did this movie called the, um, the man from Toronto. And I really liked the movie. It was really good. And I'm not making fun of Kevin as a person because I, I think Kevin runs his business reasonably well and I don't have any issue with him. But one of the things that really stuck out to me in the man from Toronto was that it fit a, a standard formula. It was basically, uh, it was basically another version of, um, that movie Chris Tucker did with Jackie Chan. Uh, if you remember, um, Give me the name of that movie again. Chris Tucker and Jackie Chan. Um, Rush Hour. Rush Hour. Yeah, so it was basically another Rush Hour, effectively. You have the, the strong guy that can fight, that is brave and, and can kick ass. And then you've got the little sidekick, the black sidekick that's, that's hilarious, uh, a complete coward, uh, really, and, and a bumbling idiot. And one of the things that's interesting to me is I've seen that played out so many times where the black character is presented to the world 
as the weak, bumbling idiot, right? We think that's great to see uh, to see the black man that is uh, scared to death. Uh, you know, anytime the bad guys come, he's running, he's screaming, he's crying like a little girl. Uh, he is uh, he's comic relief. He makes everyone laugh. And then you have the serious guy that's actually getting things done. That's what Woody Harrelson played. Woody Harrelson was super, uh, super competent. He was quick. He was smart. He was brave. He could kick everyone's butt. Kevin Hart was the one who sat around with dumb ideas, who was scared to death, who made everyone laugh. And, and the black man, typically, in my view, that's how we're typecast. We are typecast as the comic relief. And uh, in fact, um, uh, there was a Transformers movie. I think it was like tr the third one or the fourth one where they literally leaned on that stereotype. They had Optimus Prime. If you watch Transformers movies, there's a character, Optimus Prime, who is all American. He's brave. He's the leader. He's the alpha. He's the alpha male. Right. And he leads the group and he's very competent, and very smart. And then they had two uh, two characters that were clearly black. They spoke in like the kind of slang from the hood, and they they were just kind of like like they they sounded like two brothers, right? And they were literally the biggest idiots ever. And they were scared of everything, and they were completely weak. So the black man and the black woman in America, you've been typecast in certain ways. And the thing is that because uh, these people make lots of money to play these roles, you see that as a sign of success. Like you're really almost like a, a hooker that makes a lot of money. So she feels that she is, is as successful as somebody who makes money without taking her clothes off. But that's not the same. One's a prostitute, one isn't, right? So ultimately, um, I just want you to kind of watch out for this because when, uh, because generally speaking, a lot of uh, a public taste and culture is driven by the people that have the money. So if I go and I grab every bumbling idiot of a black man, every black man that's doped up, Every black man that's ignorant as hell, every black man that's that's uh, that that's an embarrassment to the community, and I pay them lots of money. Then what I'm doing is I'm setting a template and an example for young children. Young children grow up thinking, okay, I want to be the bumbling idiot because that's how I can get paid as a black man, and 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 so, so this is all connected to slavery. This is all connected to your meritorious manumission, Jimmy or Willie Lynch training. So uh, so it says that. The goal was to control a large group of captured slaves, make them hardworking, fearful, dependent, docile, submissive, and loyal labor tools to build wealth for their captors. They control you. They get you to work hard. All the income you generate goes into the, someone else's pocket. So basically turning you into a pack of hookers. That's really that's the simplest way I can explain it is pimping 101. A lot of capitalism can be explained by with, with the pimp. The pimp prostitute analogy. It's it's easy. We all understand that. The program was a system of dehumanizing and physiological conditioning using elementary principles of physical, emotional, and intellectual deprivation. So you keep them stupid, you keep them emotionally deprived, uh, you you put them in lots of physical pain. Uh, conducted by slave masters with the equivalent of a third to fourth grade education. Procedure: transported into hostile lands, made a minority, and totally dependent totally deprived of family, hope, and basic necessities, rewarded for identifying with the slave masters. So uh, you, you torture them, you put them through hell, and then you say, hey, this can all go away if you just go along with the program. If you just do what we say, then you can have money in your pocket. You're going to be good. Everything's going to be great. So obviously that's the incentive that's created for you. The reaction of enslaved blacks was this. You began to basically believe his ice was colder. You internalized white values. 
you began to fear your oppressors, so you became the cowardly, bumbling idiot, eroded group self-interest. You have no interest in the group. That's why it is very popular amongst some black people to basically say, I don't care about what the community thinks. I'm going to go get my money. Right. There's no community accountability uh, because you've been trained to not care about your community. But a black man who is out saving white children and kissing white babies and loving white people will be uh, fully, fully rewarded. He will be fully, fully celebrated. Society will love him. If you ever uh, want to be on the local news, if there's like a shootout at a mall and white people are under threat and you're the black, the brave black man who comes and saves, you know, a couple of little white girls, like they will give you awards and trophies and take good care of you as they should. Those are their children. Why wouldn't they reward you for taking care of their children? But that's the role you see for yourself. You don't see the same sort of uh, incentive structure when it comes to protecting black children, because I can simultaneously tell you about eight black children that were shot in Chicago last week, and it probably wouldn't even make the local news. So let's keep going. Uh, it says the other reaction for blacks is displaying self-hate, abandoning your code of conduct where we believe anything goes. Right, So we see some actor, or actress, or singer, or rapper behaving like a buffoon. There's always people in the chat who are going to say, you know, stop stop getting in their way. That man's trying to make his money. Stop getting away that man money. Right, Or Lizzo has the right to do whatever she wants. Right, And so ultimately, you let go of your code of conduct. There is no code. There is no standard. Right, uh, Let's see. Display self-hate. Exhibited difficulty trusting and cooperating with other blacks. Uh, that happens a lot. Uh, you, you tend to see a lot of that in a lot of areas. One area that my wife and I were talking about the other day was this um, TV show Insecure. And there was a guy on Insecure. I don't know, how many of you watch Insecure? Give me a yes or no if you watch uh, Insecure on HBO. Issa Rae show. So there was a guy on there named Jay, Jay something, Jay Ellis, who was kind of this sex symbol. You know, like black women really liked him because he was he would he would date Issa Rae and he's been on these other shows. And uh, one day Jay pops up and he's got this wife who's from Serbia. Right. And you know what that means. Right? Ain't no black people in Serbia. So she's blonde. This blonde lady from Serbia is his wife. And he, he and he didn't show her really publicly until the day they got married. And then on the day he p puts a picture of the, their wedding picture up, he blocks all the comments. Now, so, so he knew that the black women were going to be like, wait a minute, hold up. We, we feel like we've been given a rope a dope. This is BS. Now, mind you, we, you can easily make the argument that nobody has a right to tell anybody who they can marry. And we don't know the history of that relationship. They've been dating for many years. Uh, who knows what it is? But there's something symbolic that occurs here in the sense that there are people who feel that uh, black people, uh, that, that we will use other black people to build and create whatever it is we're trying to do. Right. Like if I'm trying to create a TV network, I'm going to get black people to watch because black people watch the most TV and they're loyal viewers. And then the minute I get a chance to cross over and uh, like the Jack J. Ellis, he got his first big white role, which is in the movie Top Gun. So as soon as I get a chance to cross over, I don't need black people no more. I don't care what they think. Right. Uh, or uh, you, you can think about other scenarios where um, I remember when the Oprah Winfrey Network first started and Oprah couldn't get white people to watch her network. So what they did was they said, let's get with Tyler Perry and create some stuff for black people because black people are a great people to build an audience from. They're great for building a TV network. And so ultimately uh, what you tend to see is when you're talking about trusting and cooperating with other blacks, I think marriage is also indicative of that. You have a, you'll have some men, not all of them, not, all, not even the majority, but you have some men, particularly like say in LA and stuff like that, maybe they'll date black women, they'll be friends with black women, they'll appear on, on shows with black women. But when it comes time to really uh, commit to something where that requires like tremendous amounts of trust, like say marriage, where this person is going to receive your inheritance, they're going to receive all the wealth that you leave when you die, 
It's like, oh, you know, I kind of trust Becky. I kind of feel like black people are screwed up. I feel like black women are too too much. They're too traumatized. So I'm going to go get with a white girl because it's easier. And then you see brothers do the exact same thing. You see a lot of, you see, sorry, you see women do the same thing too. And so Meghan Markle goes and marries Prince Harry and black people are celebrating because they're like, thank God, God bless Meghan. She didn't have to go date a black man. She got to go date a redheaded white boy from the sea whose family made all of its money by raping and pillaging black people. Good for her, right? So ultimately, this, this lack of trust seems to kind of play out on a consistent basis. And I would encourage you to kind of figure that out. Uh, this is one of the things I've always I've always mentioned to you guys that therapy, I think, is really important because black people are very high on the trauma scale. There's that ACEs test. I keep talking about it. I keep talking about it forever. It's, uh, it stands for adverse childhood experiences. And it's a test you can take. You look it up. Just look up the ACEs scale, A-C-E-S. The ACEs scale will ask you a bunch of questions about things that happened to you when you were a kid. And what will occur probably if you're black like me and you have a life, anything like the life I had as a black person, you're going to score super high. And let me just tell you, I think that if you have a score above four, my score is about seven or six or something like that. If your score is above four, that means you're kind of messed up. That means you've got some issues you got to work through. You've got some trauma that hasn't been addressed. My wife is an expert on trauma. And one of the things that she brings up on a regular basis is that many of us are taught to just kind of deal with it and get over it and move forward. The problem is that trauma is like this emotional STD that you're carrying with you and you don't even know that it's there and you're infecting other people because you're re-traumatizing yourself and re-traumatizing others and it's causing all kinds of havoc in your life. It's causing havoc in your financial life. There is a such thing as financial trauma. If you grew up in a house where, where you had to fight to get a piece of bologna or or you had you had to see somebody go out and do something illegal to go get some money or or your daddy left and you had to move into an apartment, one bedroom apartment with your single mama. The, all these are financial traumas that, that we have to address that affects how you view money for the rest of your life. Or if you uh, or health, it affects your health. Uh, people that have a high score on the ACEs scale adverse childhood experiences, they die much sooner. They die about 10 to 15 years sooner than people that have a low score. Uh, it's going to affect your relationships. Uh, trauma reduces your trust, right? Think about this. I mean, you think about a traumatized puppy. A traumatized puppy ain't going to trust nobody. He's going to bite everything that comes near him. It's going to be very hard to earn his trust. It's going to be very easy to trigger him and cause him to lose the trust. So if you have a traumatized pit bull that is around your kids, that pit bull might be trained and friendly for a while, but one day if something happens, somebody moves too fast, the dog might get re-triggered and end up biting your baby in the leg, right? So ultimately, well, many of us go through life like the traumatized pit bull. We say we can trust, like, oh, I can trust, as long as you don't mess up. If you mess up, if you mess up, I, I can't trust you anymore. If you mess up, I, if you you show up late to the first date, oh, I, I know your type, I know your type, I dealt with your type in my last relationship, I ain't, I, I ain't going out with that person no more, right? Because they didn't, they showed up late for the first date, or they uh, said they were gonna uh, call you at eight o'clock and they called you at nine o'clock, right? So little things like that can cause a triggering and people that have a lot of trust kind of are able to let things go. You know, the little things don't cause them to destroy their relationships because they're not in a mindset where they're consistently trying to socially distance from other human beings. So look into that. This is important. Why? Well, because this place is it's called the ACEs test, Ryan. It's ACES, Adverse Childhood Experiences. Somebody type ACEs in the chat and uh, feel free to go look it up, y'all. It's, it's really beneficial. I think it'll make a difference for you. All right. So, uh, so Dr. Anderson talks about this. He talks about how what you've gone through over the last hundreds of years 
has really affected how you trust each other. And let me just tell you this, you can't build economics if you don't have trust. Trust is very important. And so um, so he says here that, that basically uh, you can be brainwashed from life for this. On page 70, which I'm not going to read, he talks about Korean POWs and how they uh, controlled the minds of those POWs and how that fits exactly what they do with black folks, okay? Exactly the same thing. All right, now some of you are asking about the financial flashcards. Yeah, we were out of financial flashcards for a while. We sold out. We do have some in stock. So if you want to get some flashcards for your kids, uh, we have uh, financial flashcards and also uh, entrepreneurship flashcards. You can go to financialflashcards.com. That's financialflashcards.com. Also, if you want to know about the Black Wealth Builder Summit that's happening in the 29th, from the 29th to the 31st with Herb Strather in Detroit, you can go to voicewalkins.com. The information is there. Alicia Speed Dating information in Atlanta is also at voicewalkins.com. And then also... Um, if you want to come out to the Philly thing with the NASCAR drivers that I'm going to be, I'm going to be driving a car. I don't know how to race NASCAR drivers. I don't know how that's going to end, but, uh, but anyway, if you want to come out for that, that's also on voicewalkins.com. So all that stuff is there. And of course, you know, George Frazier has the power networking conference coming up in August. So I'll tell you guys about that more later. All right. So uh, let's talk about social integration. Uh, Dr. Anderson does a wonderful job of explaining how social integration was really disintegration. And I, I think that this, this particular section of the book, page 71, is really, um, is really essential given that what that Madam President did this week. Madam President did a really good job of highlighting the fact that that whole abuse thing with the Sesame Street characters, part of the reason these abuses occur is because we don't have anywhere to go, right? We don't have institutions. We see white folks, again, because we typecast ourselves as the bumbling, incompetent, cowardly idiot we see the white man as the big, strong, brave leader, the alpha that's going to go out and create the things that we need. He's going to create the corporation. I'm going to show up and get a job, right? Uh, and so, 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 uh, in, in that scene is kind of like the best I can ever do. So, social integration is disintegration. That's what Dr. Anderson says. He says throughout the centuries, social engineering, especially integration, has led blacks to destroy their own group solidarity. Social integration reinforced the practice and destroyed black communities and, and the sense of community. Increasingly, blacks are viewing social integration in America as a failure. It is a form of tokenism. It has given black Americans limited access to resources and institutions within mainstream society. So limited access to resources. Now, let me give an example in my real life of when integration did not work well for me. Whenever you integrate with a dominant party, you're at risk of getting screwed. You just are. You know, it, it doesn't matter the situation. Uh, white folks had a lot of power. We integrated with them. So you're not really going to have a lot of power in that situation. And they know that powerful people know who has the power and who doesn't. So if it's like if I if I make a deal with a mafia boss and I and we make an agreement that he's going to get 30 percent of my profits and I go along with that. Well, then he might come along and say, well, I think I want 40 percent. And I could say, well, that's not right because we had an agreement. Well, what am I going to do? What can I do to enforce that agreement? There's nothing. I don't have the guns that he has. I don't have the gangsters that he has. I shouldn't have been doing business with him in the first place because he's going to always keep renegotiating until I have nothing left. So ain't no bigger gangster in the history of this world than, than white folks in America. I'm not saying all white people are evil. I got white neighbors that are the most wonderful people ever. I'm not. If you're white, don't think I'm talking about you. I'm not talking bad about you. I'm talking about the culture, I'm talking about that Eurocentric culture, ain't, ain't no bigger gangster, ain't no bigger thugs than what came across the ocean from England So, and Spain and all these other countries. So here's the deal. When you're talking about integration, uh, you got to really sort of look at, it, look at it in that way. Integration was not just disintegration. 
It was actually just domination. They dominated you. So uh, I remember, let me give an example of my real, in my own life where integration did not work well for me. When I was seven, I used to go to church every Sunday. I went to this evangel, evangelist church. It was called Evangel, literally. And, and they used to um, have these contests where you would recite or memorize Bible verses and, and you would get like prizes if you could recite the Bible verse. So I loved it, right? You, if you get like a free Hershey bar or a pumpkin pie, stuff like that. You know, like, like I, I, know, I don't even read the Bible, but I remember a lot of the books of the New Testament, what, um, uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and, and I can't remember the whole thing, but Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, is that right? I can't, I see, I, it's gone now, but, but I, I had all that stuff memorized. So because I won the contest, they, they gave me uh, something that was like a little kid's dream. They had a big old jar of pennies. And they said, because you won, you can put your hand in the jar and grab as many pennies as you could grab. That was a big deal when you're seven, man. I mean, I'm about to get paid up in here, right? So I'm getting ready, stretching my hands, ready to hop in here. I had this friend. His name was Warren. So Warren, if you're listening, I just want to say you can kiss my whole entire ass because I remember what you did to me when I was seven. See, and we all need therapy. So let me tell you what Warren did. Warren said, hey, you know, uh, why don't you let me grab the pennies for you, and then we can split the money. And of course, my little seven-year-old spidey senses, I'm like, that don't, I don't know if I trust you with my money like that, right? And, uh, but Warren said, no, 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 I'll, I'll give you your money, I promise, and my hands are bigger, because Warren was like 10, right? That's like a grown-up when you're seven, right? So Warren had these big, what I thought were like some big grown man hands at 10 years old, and I had these little seven-year-old hands. So I'm sitting there thinking like, okay, maybe this is going to work. Maybe this, maybe if I integrate with partner with Warren, that's all integration is. All integration is, is like a business partnership. So he was proposing a partnership. Let me use my hand to grab the pennies. I'll grab more pennies and then we'll both have more money. Sounds good on the surface. Well, you could probably guess how this story ended. Let me tell you what Warren did. So I let I went in and let Warren reach into the go to, to, you know take my my job and go grab the pennies out of the penny jar. And next thing you know, I'm going. I'm looking for Warren. I'm like, hey Warren, where, where's where's my half of the money? How much did we get? Warren's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Literally, I, I and I'm I'm fired up. I'm seven though. I can't whoop a ten year old. I go to his house. I knock on the door. Hey, Warren, where's my penny? Where's my money at? Warren never paid me because Warren knew he didn't have to pay me. He knew that he was 10, I was 7, and he could whoop my little black ass in, in, in three seconds flat. And I, and I had no ability to enforce the agreement that me and Warren had made. Why? Well, because I made the mistake of integrating with a more dominant party, uh, generally integrating with somebody who really couldn't be trusted, but even then... Uh, if I was going to do something like that, I would have been better off doing it with a cousin or an uncle or somebody that actually cared about me. I don't know. I don't know how that could have worked out differently. But in that particular situation, that's that makes me think about how integration worked out for black folks. You 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 had you signed these Jackie Robinson type deals where they basically say, hey, come and hang out with us and your life will be better. The streets will be paved with gold. Look at your little raggedy businesses and look at what we've got. Your insurance companies are worth two million. Ours are worth 100 million. Right. So you're thinking like, OK, this is cool. This is great stuff. They've got the nicest neighborhoods. They got the best schools. They got the biggest banks. They got the most money. Well, we're going to integrate with all of that. So then you integrate and you let go of everything that you have. You let go of your businesses. You let go of your schools. You let go of your, your communities and you move into their space. 
And then they say, okay, all right, nigga, go work in the basement. Or, uh, yeah, we're, we're not really, yeah, we know we what we said we do, but you should just be happy to have a job. So stop all that complaining because you ain't got nothing. You have no ability to enforce any of the promises that you think we made to you. And, all, and, and, and also on top of that, you created a whole community of marginalized black people who now have nowhere to go because your community has no institutions. There's no space for mediocre black people. There's only room for exceptional Negroes. You got to be in that top 2% for them to have any interest in you. If you're not in that top two, three, four, five percent 5%, then you're going to be doing whatever. Only God knows what. That's why you got so many of your, your, your promising black men sitting on the corner with nothing to do and nowhere to go because they don't have institutions. So, so social integration was a failed policy. It did not benefit black people. It had a tremendous benefit for white people. White people's wealth went way up because they now had black people who could become consumers for their products. They have black people that they can make money from by putting your kids in these horrible inferior schools. They could uh, make money by, they had a whole batch of new employees so they could become much more productive because they, now they got employees and, and they can, can have you come and rent apartments from them in the buildings that they own so that your salary that you're making by working for that white man can go to buy another white man a damn house. So you literally are making everyone rich except for yourself because you have to re-embrace the power and the importance of ownership. You know, when I, when I created my business, I had zero interest in integrating my business with any larger entity out here. None, none. I, I don't care. Uh, I've had people with, um, you know, billion dollar entities that have approached me and said, wow, what you got going on online is really good, Dr. Watkins. And, and I'd love to find a way that we can partner and I can, you know, do blah, 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 blah. I'm like, yeah, but that doesn't work. I just, sorry, I'm not interested. I, I, I'll talk to you. Maybe there's a synergy, but for the most part, it probably won't work, especially if you're trying to own what I have. No, I'd rather just own and control this. And it ain't got to be the biggest and the brightest and the baddest, but it's mine. And we make the rules over here. The buck stops with us. We are at the top of the food chain. You have to have a space, black people. Just understand what I'm saying here. You must have a space where you are at the top of the food chain. If you're not at the top of the food chain, then you are going to get eaten, especially in a racist capitalist society. Capitalism was not built to be a system built on compassion. It's a system that's built on doggy dog. And if you don't have any power, they, it doesn't matter. They'll feed you symbolism all day long. Uh, one good example is Starbucks. Starbucks loves to pretend like they're woke. Starbucks loves to talk about the environment and racism and tolerance and LGBT. and They, they love to pretend to be this super woke, super liberal corporation until their employees started, started saying, well, why, can't, well why, don't, why don't you let us form a union? Oh, then Starbucks started becoming union busters. They started blocking unions. They started saying, no, 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 unions are bad. Why? Well, because they don't want to pay their workers more money. Like, no, we, we were cool when I wasn't giving you any of the resources. But now you're talking about trying to go into the executive suite and take a piece of what we got. Oh, we're going, you're going to have to fight for that. You're going to have to fight for that. So, so, uh, so black people, we're in the same predicament. So, so let me keep reading here. Um, it gave, so, so basically, uh, Dr. Anderson says integration has given black Americans limited access to resources and institutions within mainstream society. It gave with one hand and took back with the other hand. Blacks now own and control less than they did in 1954 before the integration process began. Blacks gave up their own businesses, 
educational institutions, political leadership, culture, and quasi-communities. By comparison, approximately 90% of all the Asians, Arabs, and Hispanics in America immigrated within the last 30 years following the end of the Black Civil Rights Movement and have economically surpassed Blacks. Each group owns and controls more income, wealth, and businesses than 99% of Black Americans who have been in America for centuries. The Civil Rights Movement and social integration opened the nation's doors of wealth and power to everyone except Black people. Once the majority society consented to integrate Blacks, whites began a scorched earth policy, intentionally destroying large urban cities and abandoning them and cannibalizing their industries, businesses, and other wealth-producing entities. That's how Detroit ended up with all those black people. And damn near all your cities either owned by an Arab or a Dan Gilbert. That, that Dan Gilbert is the white guy who owned the Cleveland Browns or Cleveland Cavaliers who wrote that runaway slave letter to LeBron. Y'all remember that? When LeBron tried to go to Miami, he wrote that letter basically saying, you ungrateful Negro, what's wrong with you? He literally wrote that letter as if he owned LeBron. And, and so, so this guy owns a big chunk of the city of Detroit. And, and you don't own much of anything. Well, why is that? Well, the question is, what is your culture? What When kids, you ask children, what is it that you desire most in the world? What is it that you really want to do, you really want to be? I don't know. I want to be a bad bitch like Cardi B. Or I want to be uh, I want to be a rapper one day. Or I want to be a basketball player. Or I want to get a good job. It, 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 you just get these crazy answers, right? Do, do you have a lot of your children just basically saying in your culture, oh, I want to be the largest landowner in the entire city of Detroit. I want to own 100,000 acres of prime real estate or whatever the case may be. Or do you have your kids saying, oh, I want to own as many businesses as possible? Um, do you have kids saying, you know, I want to own assets. I want to own stock. I, I want to have wealth. Is that conversation prevalent? Or do you have conversations where kids say, oh, I really want to, um, I want to get a new iPhone and a pair of Jordans because I'm going to be lit when I go back to school. What? Where's your culture? If if you're not aiming for the target, then guess what? You're not going to hit the target. You don't become wealthy and powerful by accident. It takes a tremendous amount of intentionality to create wealthy, powerful children. So what are we intentionally creating? What are they thinking about on a daily basis? What is their greatest passion? What is is their goal to be the smartest person they can possibly be to have the most knowledge they can they can have where's their goal to be able to uh, you know uh hit jump shots and and throw a football down the football field or run the 40 yard dash in 4.4 seconds it all starts in childhood it all starts in culture it all starts in what you're talking about around the dinner table as a family i talk to my kids i told them uh, the other day i tell them all the time you want to own land as soon as possible. You want to own as much as you possibly can get your hands on. You always want to own resources. Me and your mom bought this house because we want to rent it out and we're going to buy another one. And that's what you do. You want to own property. And they're looking at me like I'm weird and crazy. And I'm, and I'm, but I'm repetitive. I'm extremely repetitive because I want my voice to be in their brain even if I'm dead. I want them to hear my voice 20 years from now when they're deciding what to do with their life and how to get in the position they want to be in. Are you doing the same? Please do the same. All right. Uh, so sweet, great, great mom says hello from Philly. 
hey, what's going on? I'm actually going to be in Philly this weekend. Uh, I mentioned to you guys earlier, I'm participating in the Urban Youth Racing School. Um, they, it's a celebrity racing event. I don't call myself a celebrity. A few people know me, but they're real celebrities. They're like NASCAR drivers and stuff. So if you want to check it out, feel free. If you're in Philadelphia, if you go to boycewalkins.com, the link is on my uh, website. Uh, also, uh, Alicia Speed Dating Event in Atlanta is uh, tomorrow, July 22nd. Uh, so if you want to go there, just go to boycewalkins.com. The link there uh, for that is there, too. And, uh, and, and pretty much everything you want to know about what we have going on. So feel free to go to boycewalkins.com. And also, don't forget that tomorrow, if you haven't gotten the link for tomorrow's class on generating income from stock options, uh, make sure you log in. You can log in at drboyceprime.com, drboyceprime.com. Prime stands for Passive Recurring Income Machine. Uh, if you log in there, you can actually get the Zoom code. So remember, the Zoom code changes every week. If you haven't gotten your code, go ahead and get it and register. And tomorrow night, we're going to actually dig in and start selling some options. This is a great stock market, by the way. The market is starting to show signs that it may have bottomed. Uh, you've seen a ton of money being made th this past week. There are many experts who actually think that this could continue, okay? So uh, I don't want you to miss out on this. I want you to have financial consciousness. I want you to be financially woke. So I want you to pay attention to what's going on there. Uh, now, Nasia says, can book club members get a discount? Yeah, you can get a discount on anything. Actually, if you use the code word Dr. Boyce, Dr. Boyce, you can get 20% off anything in the Black Business School. So uh, Dr. Boyce, uh, Dr. Boyce, all one word. Just when you sign in, just add that code in there, and it'll take 20% off anything that you want to sign up for in the Black Business School. All right. So um, let me keep going here. So, uh, okay, so Dr. Anderson on page 71 of Powernomics, which you can get a copy of Powernomics.com, he says, once the majority society consented to integrate blacks, whites began a scorched policy destroying large urban cities, et cetera. Whites frequently complain that blacks are too race conscious. In fact, their inappropriate behavior patterns indicate that they have not been race conscious. When integration destroyed black business communities, Black consumers commuted to white suburban malls and started spending about 95% of their annual disposable income outside of their own communities. Black colleges were converted to miniature white colleges. Blacks seeking education, jobs, homes, and leadership were forced to turn to the majority white society. So uh, when you talk about uh, any HBCU, that brags about how many black people they put into the labor market and how many jobs their students are getting, they probably need to be, they need to pivot a little bit. Stop bragging about how many slaves you created for corporate America. We know you're creating good corporate slaves. We, we're the hardest working people out here. That's been established. Start bragging about how many millionaire billionaire CEOs came out of your school because those are the people that are going to fund your damn school. The billionaires and the multimillionaires are the ones who write the checks to fund the school so that you ain't got to go begging for the government to cover your bills. If you go look at Harvard, Yale, Stanford, Vanderbilt, top universities in this country, they are funded by their billionaire alumni. I went to the Yale Club when I went to New York. I got invited to a meeting with a guy, and I went to this Yale Club. And they literally, first thing I saw was big, beautiful portraits of all the former presidents of the United States who went to Yale. And then he also mentioned 50, $100 million business deals that they're doing with each other and how they're writing $100 million checks to their alma mater. You can't write a $100 million check when you got a damn job. Employees can't write $50 million checks. Business owners can't.
So how many business owners are you creating? Is this a fundamental aspect of the infrastructure of your institution? If I'm creating Boyce Watkins University tomorrow, which really that's kind of what the Black Business School is, right? So if I'm creating Boyce Watkins University and your child's going to that school, I'm going to make sure every single child knows how to start a business as a means to their own economic survival. There would not be one person coming through my school who has to go through life in fear of losing a job. If you know how to create a job, then you have no fear of losing a job. It's like if I know how to hunt and fish and cook food, I don't got no fear of the restaurant shutting down. I ain't worried about what happens at the grocery store. I'm not worried about whether this man or that man feeds me because I know I can feed myself. So the fundamental question black people must ask ourselves at the end of the day is can you feed yourself? If you go to bed every night having cold sweats and complete fear of what that man's going to do to you, then the, you know the answer to that question already. But just know that a better answer is out there. You just have to train yourself to want to go look for it. I don't care who you are, where you come from, what your experience is. Freedom is for everybody. Freedom improves the happiness of everybody. Slavery is, I can't imagine anybody who would rather be a slave than rather be free, especially when your slave master is somebody who does not love you. So it, so when I talk to my kids, I'm going to end on this point, and then I'm going to let you guys go. I'm about to go spend time with my daughter, and we talk about freedom all the time, by the way. I'm not just talking to you guys about this. This is what I'm talk, I talk to my kids about. So when I talk to my kids about what they're going to do with their life and how, you know, what career they want to have and all that, we don't even talk about jobs. I say jobs are something you do if you absolutely have to and you have no other way to survive. We talk about the creation of capital. I said, if you got a capital base, you ain't got to work for nobody and you're free to do whatever hell, the hell you want. My youngest daughter wants to do hoity-toity stuff. She says, I want to grow up and be a dancer in Paris. And some people were like, well, how can you afford to be a dancer in Paris? They, ain't nobody going to pay you to just go dance in Paris. She Ain't, ain't nobody got to pay her to dance in Paris because if we build a capital base for her where she's able to generate enough income from her investments to live off of, then she can go to Paris and be a dancer and she's not going to trip out because she can't pay the rent. Do you understand? So, so the, the reality is that I, I really want you to, to, to think outside of that box. I want you to grow mentally. I, all of us are already in that path. I want to encourage you to keep doing that. I want you to sort of understand just the difference between what it, look, what it looks like when you are the boss of your life versus when somebody else is the boss of your life. So your goal is not to find the best boss you can find. The goal is to kill the boss and become the boss yourself. And if you collaborate with others, you know, I work all the time with other people on projects where sometimes they're the boss, sometimes I'm the boss. So, so I'm, I don't mind them leading the project. I can follow as well as I can lead. But believe me, there is nothing, there's not a single business deal I'm involved with right now where I'm not in a position where I could say, I'm done, I'm out, I'll see you later. There's not one single thing I'm involved with that I cannot walk away from. So I want you to be in a position like that. I want you to aim for that for yourself. And then I really want you to prepare that for your children because that's going to give them that freedom that they talk about. Everybody always talk about freedom. You get freedom because you got civil rights. Man, to hell with that. They know, ain't no civil rights ever been made that really gives you no freedom. It might keep you out of jail. It might allow you to do a little bit of this, a little bit of that. But if you, are, if you have no resources in America, you really don't have any freedom. That's, that literally is the country that you live in. And it's important to understand that and not get caught up in the fairy tale.
Do we understand each other? Give me a yes in the chat if we understand each other so I can end this conversation on a, on a good note because I got to go and I'm, I'm going to go see my daughter right now. And we're going to be talking about these things. Actually, we talk about these things all the time. And, uh, and and I want you to love your children every way you can. The best way you can love them is to give them the knowledge that goes outside the box and will put them in a position where they are truly empowered in their lives. OK. All right, guys. So um, a reminder, real quick reminder. Uh, number one, if you want to check out the financial flashcards, you can go to financialflashcards.com. They, they just got in stock. They're really good. They're great in terms of training kids on wealth and stuff like that. Uh, that's financialflashcards.com. Number two, if you go to boyswalkins.com, if you want to come to speed dating in Atlanta tomorrow, uh, the link is right there. It's drama-free speed dating. If you want to come to the uh, Urban Youth Racing School event in Philadelphia, where we're going to have all the NASCAR drivers and everything racing, uh, feel free to go to boyswalkins.com. The link is up there, too. Third, uh, Herb Strather and Gary Shelton, two guys in Detroit who've done over a billion dollars worth of real estate deals, are co-hosting with the Black Business School, the Black Wealth Summit in Detroit, July 29th through the 31st. That's going to be epic. It's going to be awesome. These guys are brilliant. I, I, I vouch for them all the way to the end of the road in terms of their experience and what they know how to do. Uh, Gary has actually advised people like Oprah and Michael Jordan and, and knows people like Warren Buffett. He's a bad boy. So if you want to join that event, uh, just take a look. Just go to boyswalkins.com. The link is up there as well. That's where it's all going down. So that's the epicenter of all the things that are happening right now. Okay, guys. So I'm out of here. Um, if, you're, if you're going to be in the stock options class tomorrow, I will see you tomorrow. And those who that are not in the class yet, you can actually, uh, everything's recorded. So you can watch all the recordings and it's yours for life. So feel free to go to um, uh, boyswalkins.com and look for that link as well. If you want to get a discount, use that code Dr. Boyce, all one word. That'll take 20% off. All right, guys. So have a wonderful day. God bless you. Thank you for listening. I love you. And I will see you all very, very soon. Take care. Bye-bye. Here we are, clan the isms, cataclysm, great. Our people out here struggling, trying to make it in this state. Everybody out here doing it, but we the ones who late. Now family, we the ones who gotta delegate. Get that money in the power, never be fake. Stick to co-sign for three. What did he say? Uh, create jobs, support our own. Educate the same and buy back your home. Got three degrees, triple ten. Three PhDs, now we on the CNN. DBTV, let's talk about negligence. Ignorance is bliss, but we can turn into intelligence. Believe none of what you hear, half of what you see. Let's break it down here on Dr. Boyce TV. Here we are.